Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let's pray together. God, it is wonderful to be able to gather and be here and pray and sing in the midst of the rain. Uh, you've still gathered your people. And, and Lord, today we've come here carrying different burdens and different levels of confusion. Some of us have carried many doubts and people may not be able to see it on our face, but some of us have walked in here with great deal of anxiety. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would even now, in a divine way, would you speak to the people in this room in such a way that we know that you spoke. It, it would be unique in that it, a word is not just for everyone, but for me. And so God, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand what you want to say to us. Specifically, come right to my address, right to my door, straight in my apartment and speak to where I'm at. And I trust God that when I walk away from this place, we will know it was you and you alone. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Josh, Josh is the timer, yeah. So um, I am, uh, I'm six, about 6'2"-ish in the mighty name of Jesus. And I'm 200 something, something and something else. And uh, they, they, I'm considered a big person, okay? But when I was uh, 10, when I was 10, I was 5'11", okay? I was 5'11", and I was wearing my daddy's clothes. So, I was, I, so I've always been big, as they call it. Big, big boned, as my grandmother would say. <laughs> I, I was always a big, big person. But I always had kind of the same personality, you know, just joking around with people, having fun, and so I've always been kind of that way. Now, now a lot of that is my mother is a very sweet, kind person, and, and I kind of took on my mom's personality. My dad is rough and tough, and, and so I was always my mom, and so I was really just a sweet, big old kid, you know, uh, joking with people, having fun. Consequently, though, I didn't, I didn't really ever have to fight because nobody ever wanted to fight the guy that was big and made jokes, you know what I'm saying? So, so not only did I not know how to fight, I never had to fight. This just wasn't an issue. And, um, but uh, one summer I went down to visit my cousins in Mississippi, at Moss Point, Mississippi. Just feel the cornbread and Kool-Aid when I say that, just feel it. So I went down to Moss Point, Mississippi with my family and I remember this kid stepped to me and I was like, what? and I'm, so I'm trying to crack jokes and he wanted to fight me, and he wanted to fight me just because I was big. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Do you know these kind of people? Have you met these people before? Some of you were them. Thank you for the redemption <laughs> in Christ. He whooped my tail. I mean, he beat me down. When I say he beat me down, he hit me, so I didn't know what to do because I'd never fought. And I thought, I thought if I'm nice to people, there'd never be a problem. So he hit me. I'm on the ground, stomped on me, on the ground, and the whole time I'm like, what did I do? And my chest is going, <laughs> oh, I caught the beat down. And i never forget, my mom said, look, you're nice, but everybody's not nice. So here I was, big, nice, but I didn't know how to fight. 
And if I could really capture the way the church of Jesus Christ is in America, we're big, we produce nice people, we don't really know how to fight though. We, when, when certain things take over our lives, we, we literally say to ourselves, I've been such a good person, why I'm in a fight? And we think the Christian life is about becoming nice, not really learning how to fight. If I were to, you know, when you look, when you look in the book of Acts, this is our last sermon in this series, so I gotta go out with a bang. When, when, you look at, when you look in the book of Acts, right, you're seeing this small group of people, they're marginalized, they're oppressed, there's no priests, there's no kings, there's no leaders. It's just a bunch of people who love God and are operating by the power of God. And all of a sudden, two centuries later, these people would become the most influential group in the entire world, or at least in that region, because of the name of Jesus. That's the only power they had to operate on. And so you saw a move of God, and the question is, why don't we see moves of God like we did see in the Bible or even at different eras? Why don't we see moves of God in the same way? And, and I would say that we don't see that because God's people, instead of knowing how to fight, many of us are still bound, bound, bound in certain habits, bound in certain strongholds, bound. When I, when I think about this, there was a book that, that came out and it was actually doing a survey of how uh, believers uh, really try to develop their walk with God. And, and they all mention certain things that they, they find are, are obstacles for them. They talked about things they're bound in. Bound in depression, bound in anxiety, bound in fear, bound in grief and anger, bound in tormenting thoughts, bound in lust, bound in a lack of self-worth. Some of us are bound in an obsession about the future, bound in a need for validation, and bound in just an intimidation with the world. And really, when, you, when someone comes to know Christ, we want them to experience the freedom of knowing God and the joy of knowing God and the love and the peace of God. But you can't set others free when you're still bound. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. At the time uh, this is written, a stronghold was used by the military to think of like a defensive wall. It was like a fortification, right? So when you say fortification or fortify, it's the same word for fortress or fort. It means this is my territory. I own this area. And when we talk about having a stronghold, it is really when the enemy has come into our life and taken over an area in your life and said, your emotions are mine. Your joy is mine. And it begins to define the way that you live, the way that you think. And it's almost like I, almost like I was where I was overtaken and all of a sudden I feel like I'm being stomped. Well, I was being stomped out. I'm being stomped out. And in the same way, many of you know what I'm talking about when you get a rush of emotions and you don't know how to fight. Many of you know what I mean when you, you feel overwhelmed, you feel overtaken, and you don't know how to fight. And so today, in this last message in this series, 
I believe because the power of God is in you, the spirit of God is inside of you. I want to teach you how to fight, right? And the weapons, the weapons of our warfare, we have weapons. And there's two weapons that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about God's authority. And I want to talk about our worship. God's authority in our worship. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 16. The book of Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up here on the screen. Acts 16. Acts chapter 16. Uh, uh, before I go there, let me just set up the context for you. Paul the Apostle. If you remember, he transforms in Acts chapter 9. And then after Acts chapter 9, he begins to do what we call missionary journeys. He goes to different cities, he goes to different towns, and he begins to preach the word of God. As he does this, he has a method or a pattern. The pattern would be this. He would go to synagogues. He would go to places where there were people who were already seeking God. As he would do this, people would be transformed, people would be changed. But here he has come to a city called Philippi. If you look in the Bible, it's actually where we get the book of Philippians from. He goes to Philippi, and it's going to say that he is going to go to a place of prayer. Now, the reason why you would see this phrase, place of prayer, is because synagogues would only get built if you had 10 men that were Jewish. If you had under 10 men, you would not have a synagogue. You would just have a place of prayer. So when he goes to Philippi, he's just looking for where people are worshiping. So you must understand what he is doing is he's going to something like a church service. People are worshiping. People are singing. People are reading the word of God. So when he goes to this place of prayer, in Acts 16 and 13, there's a woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple. She was a woman of great influence. And it says the Bible opened up her heart. So here's what happens. He goes to the place of prayer. He sees someone's life get changed. So he decides to do it again. Decides to go back to that same place. Acts 16, verse 16. Uh, also notice uh, that Paul is accompanied by Silas and he's accompanied by Timothy, and he's accompanied by Luke, the author of this text. That's why this text is written in first person. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. It goes on to say, and she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. What's happening in the text? Is it hot in here? Y'all hot? Lord Jesus Christ. I don't normally do this, but my Lord, this is a thick coat. Thank you, my brother. The, uh, the text says that there was this spirit of divination. Now, I want you to understand what spirit of divination means. The spirit of divination, the word in the Greek there for divination is the word python. The idea of a python would come because there was an oracle named Apollos. 
Apollos was an oracle that would give people their fortune. They were fortune-telling, and the, the, there was a guard outside of the temple of Apollos, and it was a python. And so when someone had the spirit of divination and the ability to tell the future, they would say that that person was occupied by the spirit of the python. This young lady is able to tell the future, but she's impoverished, and she's now under the mastery of men who only want to use her for money. And so they, they take her around every place and they have her telling people's future. I don't have much time to go into this, but I just want you to feel the weight of this. If the Bible is true, then the Bible is literally telling us that the, the ability to tell the future is not occupied only by God alone. What we learn here is people were willing to pay to know the future back then, and people are paying to know the future right now, and it does not matter who you, whether you're paying or not, the reality is there is a way to access divine power and it ain't always the Lord. Here we see that this young lady is able to do that. And I want to tell you that one of the things that we've got to be very careful about doing is loving God, but also putting a caveat, I love you, but I need to know what my next season will be in. That's why we got to be careful about everybody talking about my season, my breakthrough, my next. I don't know what your next season is going to be like. I don't know if it's going to have fruit. I don't know if it's going to have no, if it's going to be barren, but I know Jesus is still good. And so that's why we try to get people not to focus on the season, but to focus on the savior and to think about who God is, because God may have you on this roller coaster where you're real high, but it may become low in the very next season. So there is sometimes an obsession with the future. And, I, and so I, I caution you, I caution you to think about mediums. I caution you about horoscopes. I caution you, not, not because there may not be truth in it. Do you know that the truth is not just occupied to God? She told them the truth and she made money off it. And she herself was being used for money. The Bible says in Leviticus 19 and 31, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. A necromancer is like a wizard or a magician. Do not seek them out so and so make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord. Do not play with the divine if it is not connected to Jesus. You will find yourself getting caught up in areas of darkness, and these areas of darkness, I want you to notice that when, when they went down to that riverside and they go to the place of prayer, they went down there and they left, but the girl followed them. And I just want you to know that when you start to play with evil things, you, find, you oftentimes find yourself subscribing to them, bound in them, and you find yourself caught up. You, 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 in other words, some of y'all were playing but now you're bound. And, and I'm saying, I don't even have time to get into that, but I just wanna caution you about how you spend your time, mind, and energy. Not all things spiritual are from the Lord. <laughs> but <laughs> they go to the place of prayer, and when they go to the place of prayer, it's a place of prayer, it's a place of prayer. So what are people doing? They're praying. 
And while they're praying, they're most likely singing. And while they're singing, they're most likely reading. They're doing what we would consider a worship service. So when you look back in Acts 16 at this young lady, it says literally, she, in verse 17, she started, the, the fact that she said these are, these are servants of the most high God who proclaim the way of salvation, that wasn't the problem. The problem was she kept yelling. She is crying out and she is screaming. And she is now distracting everyone who was trying to worship and pray. And here's what we learned firstly about warring in the spirit is what Paul's response is. In verse 18, this is what Paul does. He gets annoyed. How many of us know about the spirit of annoyance? I do, amen. <laughs> yeah, some of y'all's verse don't go. They were annoyed, and the book ends, as it. They, he's annoyed, right? He turned to the spirit, and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out. Now, I want you to notice what he does. It says, greatly annoyed, turned and said, not to the girl, to the spirit. Paul spoke to the spirit and not the girl. This young lady was a demonic distraction. And her number one job was to get their eyes on her and off of the place of prayer. And in so doing, she is accomplishing her task. She is yelling, she is screaming, but notice she's not saying anything wrong. She's telling the truth. Her goal and her job is to get them off the beaten path, a focus on the Lord. <laughs> I tell you, if you want to get distracted, start trying to focus on Jesus. Start, start saying, I'm, you know what, in 2024, I'm going to get it right with the Lord and I'm going to do this and I'm going to start making, if you make spiritual goals, there will be a spiritual distraction to match your goals. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, and I remember, and, 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 and part, of, part of our jobs is, notice, again, the distraction is getting you to focus on them, not the power above them. The enemy on your job is not your enemy. There's an enemy behind the enemy, and if you focus on them, you are missing the point. The job is to focus on the power above them. There is a power above them. Some of y'all are obsessed with people. You just think about people all the time. And the reality is, it is distracting you. You have to elevate the situation and to think about the power above those people. It's a distraction. It's a distraction. That person's a distraction. It is distracting you from what you have been called to do, what you know you ought to do. I'm telling you, whenever I start to pray there, man, I could be looking at the blinds. I'm like, dude, I didn't know the blinds go like, look at it, it goes up, down, up. I didn't even know, look at that switch. It doesn't, and I mean, now all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, I ain't thinking about the Lord, I'm thinking about something else. We got fruit flies in my house in the mighty name of Jesus right now. I'm telling you, I believe there's something demonic happening with those flies. All I am saying to you is for every step you take towards God, there is a divine distraction to take you off the beaten path. What's the job of a distraction? To get your eyes on the distraction. To get you off of what you were doing. And, and so one of the things that you notice, wouldn't it be wild if Paul turned around and just started going off on this little girl? 
Wouldn't the text be wild? Like, oh, come on, Paul, chill. She's just a slave girl, right? But he doesn't focus on her. He focuses on the spirit inside of her. I want to encourage you right now. Some of you are obsessed with how people are around you, and you are distracted from the mission God has you on. And because of that, your prayer life has been hijacked. Your focus has been hijacked. You have a greater mission than those people. God has something greater in your life, but you've got to elevate the situation. What would happen if you began to pray for the people that are distracting you from the place you want to go? Jesus literally says, pray for your enemies, not just for the fulfillment of the enemy, but for the focus of the believer. Lord, we lose so much focus. We get so easily distracted. And so I want you to notice how Paul does not speak to the girl. He speaks to the spirit in the girl. But secondly, I want you to notice how, what he says. He says in verse 18, he says, I command you, talking to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. The phrase in the name of Jesus gets used often. If you've been a Christian for some time or even if you've been around church, you've heard that phrase in the name of Jesus. You heard the song in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus is something that we know. But unfortunately, we tend to use that phrasing as a magic formula to get what we want, not a picture of God's power. See, the reason why you pray in the name of Jesus is because you are praying in the authority of Jesus. Functionally, when you do something, you are doing them in your name, for your fame, for your glory. When you do something in the name of Jesus, it's for his fame, for his name, for his glory, and it is done by his authority. So, so unfortunately, there's this presumption that if I say in the name of Jesus seven times in this prayer, somehow I've hit the magic button and I can get what I want. And what the Bible literally says, Jesus said this, Jesus said this in John 14. Jesus said in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, how much is whatever? Whatever is whatever. Whatever is whatever. I mean, if, I, if you told me I could have whatever, what would I want? I got a lot of whatevers. I got a lot of whatevers I can think of right now. I'm confident you have a lot of whatevers. Think about how much whatever is. Whatever you ask in my name, whatever, anything, whatever, whatever, just whatever. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Y'all know that's a promise? That's a promise. Whatever you ask, I'll do it. Anybody ever tell you that? No. I don't know. Maybe. They try to, to get something from you if they tell you that. <laughs> Jesus says, whatever you ask, I'll do it. Yeah, whatever you ask in my name. Oh. And unfortunately, because we understand the verse only in that part, we presume if I ask it in your name and I want it, then I'll get it. But the text goes on to say, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then he repeats it again. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. So he says it again. But in the middle there, what he says is, if you ask me something in my name and my authority, then you are actually asking 
for my authority and my glory. I want God to be glorified in what I am asking from his authority. And I, I wonder when you think about your deepest desires or when you think about your decisions, is God's glory like at the top of your decision-making chart? Like a lot of times people will come with me with gray areas. They're like, I don't know if I should go left or right or up or down. Pastor, what do you think? And I'm like, well, what would be the most glorifying to God? And they're like, ooh, that's deep. I don't know. It's, that's, I haven't considered that. That's, ooh, that's good. That's why you a pastor. You know, and they, all of a sudden, they're just like, oh, I haven't, con I haven't considered, will God be more recognized from this decision I make? And so understand, understand what Jesus says is, if you want to increase the whatever part, then you will also want to see an increase in the glorification part. Another way of putting that is the more that you desire to, desire to see God glorified in all things, the more you begin to operate in the authority of the name of Jesus. <laughs> um, I should have come and got this verse up there. I'm going to read for you a verse. It is one of the wildest verses in the Bible. But we got to be careful if we're just using the phraseology of Jesus' name to just get things we want or to do spiritual things. There's a verse in Acts 19, verses 13 through 16. It says, the, the, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus uh, over someone who, was, who had an evil spirit. And so they say to the evil spirit, I adjure you, uh, by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. And then the verse 14 says, the seven sons of, oh, y'all got it up there. Okay, praise the Lord. So verse 14, it says, the seven sons of Jewish high priests named Sceva were doing this. And then it says, but the evil spirit answered them, which is wild. And the evil spirit says, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. Who are you? Whose man's is this? Listen, listen. And, and the man in whom the, was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, that's trauma, right? When you, but they, they, listen, they were using Jesus' name for their own glory, and they ended up traumatized by that. And I... I think that we tend to believe that if I add Jesus to my desires, then I will get what I long for. And the way to see more of what you long for is to make Jesus what you long for, to make him your highest desire, to make him your greatest desire. And so this is a crazy story, but it is the reality that some of us are just using Jesus for our own plans. And here, Authority, praying with authority, praying and beginning to see your prayers happen. One of the greatest ways God increases the effectiveness of your prayers is by giving you a season where you see nothing from your prayers. One of the greatest ways that God increases the effectiveness of your prayers is giving you a season where you see nothing from prayer. 
because all he wants to know is, do you love me or am I a vending machine? Is this relational or transactional? And he'll give you some long seasons where it's like, nope, nope, nope. And will you still want me in my no? Or am I just the yes God? And that's how you know you are in love with a person, right? Isn't that true? Like, do you want me or do you want what you can get from me? Some of y'all are working through that right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And I'm saying the Lord is no different. And so what I'm trying to say is if you want an increase in the authority of your prayers, then you want an increase in the glory of God. And if you want the increase of the glory of God, you must decrease. And you'll see him and him alone. <laughs> but this other weapon, the first weapon I mentioned is the authority of Jesus in our prayers. But I want you to see what happens to Paul after this. It's awesome. I mean, Paul turns around and says, in the mighty name of Jesus, come out. So notice one thing happens. This woman named Lydia, her heart opens up to know the things of God. Then right after that, he turns around and he says, in the mighty name of Jesus, come out. The spirit comes out of this girl. Isn't that awesome? There's miracles. God is moving. One problem, though. That young lady was those men's financial system. They felt robbed. So look what happens. In Acts uh, 16 and 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain, notice they don't even call her a person, they call her a hope of gain. Whole nother conversation for another day of the objectification of this young lady. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now I want you to understand, these people, they did not sign up for this. We're trying to go down to the place of prayer. Lydia gave her heart to the Lord. This young lady's now bugging out on us and she's screaming at us. We called out the spirit and all of a sudden, after all these good things, that God was doing, all of a sudden, I'm getting drugged into the marketplace. I didn't sign up for this. It gets worse. The scripture goes on and says, and when they brought them to the magistrates, the magistrates are the police, okay? They brought them to the magistrates and they said, these men, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So imagine yourself, you go down to this place of prayer, then all of a sudden you're getting drugged down to the marketplace. While you're in the marketplace, the magistrates, the police are there. They're talking to the police and I'm sure you're down there like, okay, I'm, I need to plead my case. What goes on? Once that happens, the crowd joined in attacking them. So now you've been drugged out from the place of prayer to the marketplace. You're getting beat down. Now you got not only these two men beating you up, you got a crowd beating you up. I was just trying to go someplace to pray. The scripture goes on. And now the magistrates tore the garments off them. They're now stripping these boys and gave orders to beat them with rods. I was just trying to pray, y'all. I was going down to pray. I was trying to, the girl started wilding out. I said, come out in the mighty name of Jesus. I didn't you mean to take your money, bro. I'm sorry. Or what? Now I'm getting drugged down to this place. Magistrates, hey, magi oh, now the magistrates are beating me with rods and I'm naked in the street. Do you see what's happening here? And then next, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, how many is many blows? Many blows, praise God. And it goes on to say, having received this order, 
The magistrates beat them. The crowd crushes on them. They've been drugged, and it says, having received this order, he, the magistrates, put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. There's a prison, and then there's an inner prison. The prison was a normal prison cell, but the inner prison functioned like solitary confinement. It was, there was a prison that was open, but then there was a prison that was beneath, like a cave, no light, no food. They fastened their feet in stocks, and what that is, I think we have a picture of it, uh, it, it would essentially be stocks at the time, you would, might, might see this in like medieval times, stocks oftentimes would have a hole for your both wrists and for your, for your head, and then would have it where you would be like this, but oftentimes there would be where they just had your ankles, your feet in there, and so that's what happened. So now they have to sit there in the dark, beat down, and I was just trying to help somebody. I was just trying to pray. Beat by the crowd, beat with rods, by the magistrates, thrown into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. This is what we call the bottom. And this is what we call a life that has gone a completely different direction than the plan. All I wanted to do was help somebody. All I wanted to do was pray with somebody. I, you know, I went down there, and the, the other day, this woman, Lydia, gave her life to the Lord, so I figured I'd go back, and all of a sudden, I'm in prison now. If you remember the story of Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 8, you know what he used to do? Put people in prison. He used to drag people in prison. Paul used to be a powerful man, so powerful he could put people in prison. Now, he's got no power. And all I want to do is pray with somebody. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm blindsided and I'm being drugged. And all of a sudden, the, the people I thought would help, the magistrates, they're beating me too. And all of a sudden, I'm in the prison, but now I'm in the inner prison. And all of a sudden, I can't even move my feet. Have you ever been to the bottom where in your mind you are thinking, I never thought my life would be this way? The plan. Come on, Jesus. You know the plan. Remember the plan from like 2013? The plan. The plan was to, you know, get the education, do the thing, and then I get the thing and the other thing. And that's not happening. In fact, I was just trying to love you, worship you. I, I wanted to be nice. And now I'm in a fight. I didn't come to fight. I just wanted to be, a, you told me if I read your word and I love you, I'll get good things, right? And you've discovered that's really not a promise. That just because you love God does not mean you're going to have an easy life. In fact, the promises are in the reverse. In fact, Calvary roads are promised. Crosses are promised. Hard times are promised. 
and you, you, you've been stripped and you look over at other people and you're like, this person is wilding out and they're getting everything. You know what I'm talking about? I've seen you. I, I, I do counseling sessions. I know what y'all talk about. You're seeing people's lives just go. It looks like it's getting better and better and better. And you become more confused because I am all the way in the bottom and I tried to do everything right. And emotionally, you find yourself overtaken by fear, by depression, by comparison, by grief. It overtakes you because you've been thinking, I've been doing things right, I've been nice. And church, God has not raised you to be nice. He's raised you to be a warrior. And so what do they, what do, they do? What does Paul do? Paul, does Paul say, I can't believe I'm in prison. I remember when I used to put people in prison. What does he do? What does he do? It says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The man literally in the middle of the night, while his feet are in stocks and it's super dark out, he begins to pray and he begins to sing. And the prisoners were listening to them. And I'm sure the prisoners are like, do y'all know where we are? How can you be singing right now? How can you be praying right now? And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Paul gets set free after he worships and then the people in there get set free because of his worship. What is important right now in your life is not what you're going through. What's important is how you're responding to what you're going through. And I'm saying that he learned how to worship God at the bottom when he had nothing. And what God does is when he sees someone that is committed to believing on him and believing in him, when they have nothing, he begins to move in powerful ways. I, I, must, I must share with you one, one last story. It's a, it's a powerful story, the story of King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat, man, he, he had it all. Things were going good. Winning all the time. Life is great. But then all of a sudden for King Jehoshaphat, the Lord begins to allow him to have to fight. And so all of a sudden, the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Mennonites, and the, they all of a sudden, now he's got beef with people, but his whole time he's like, I've been nice, I've been good. Why does somebody want to bother me? And the Bible says, in 2 Chronicles 20, 40 and 14 and 15. And the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jehiel, son of Mattani, a Levite, the son of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. 
And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the spirit of the Lord comes on this man and says, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, meaning I know you see the Mesopotamians. I know you see the Ammonites. I know that's what you see. But I want you to know what God said. And he says, for the battle is not yours, it's God's. Now, after Jehaziel prophesies that to them, don't worry about the battle. God's got the battle. Right after that, in verse 20, it says, they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And they went out. Jehoshaphat stood up and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you'll be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Jehoshaphat takes the truth of what was told to him. He then tells the people, sing, and they haven't even battled yet. They begin to sing before the battle. And they're not talking, oh, God, give us victory. They're actually saying, God, I know your love endures forever. And then finally, it says, when they began to sing. Would you say that with me? When they began. Say that one more time. When they began to sing. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, and those who would come against Judah, so they were routed. While they began to sing, God went to war on their behalf, and God fought the battle for them as he had promised. You see, the real reason why God wants us to teach us how to fight, the way we fight, the weapons of our warfare are spiritual, not carnal. We don't fight like the world fights. We fight the way we fight is we call on our big brother, Jesus. And he fights our battles for us. And so what happens when he is in a prison cell and has nothing? He begins to worship God, sing to God. And I'm telling you that there will come a point in your life where you feel like everything has gone wrong and all your efforts have been come to naught. And what you do in that moment defines your relationship with God. And in that very moment where the people that said, I got you, don't got you. The people that said they're for you are against you. The people that talk to you are also talking about you. When you are in that kind of moment where you've been trying to depend on all these different things and nothing is working, it is in that very moment that you have hit rock bottom and you call on the name of Jesus, not just to do something, but you call on him because he's good. And you worship him for who he is. And God fights your battles. Lastly, I ask you this. Do you think that when Jehoshaphat had the people of God out there and they are singing and they see an army, do you think they had some fear in their hearts? Of course they did. Of course they did. I'm sure their voices were shaking. 
was singing, but he was still in prison. It was still dark. And the reason why worship is such a great weapon is because it empowers us in the darkest of moments while we're battling fear. Depression. But worshiping. Fear. But worshiping. Anxiety. But worshiping. Lust. But worshiping. Tormented by thoughts, but worshiping. The key is all those things are trying to take your worship. And they're trying to overtake you so that you just, I'm just defeated. And this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And I'm just a pole, pole Christian. And I don't know what to do with my walk with God. And all of a sudden, you are perpetually sad by your circumstances, but you are not worshiping the God who can radically change your circumstance in a moment. In a moment. And so I encourage you, would you say this, depression, when I say say this, that means say this, praise God. Come on, 12 o'clock. 10.30, got it, 10.30, got it, I'm sorry. No shade, no shade, no shade. I'm just giving you the facts. Well, you gotta do it when I do it. Depression. But worshiping. but worshiping. Anxiety. Anxiety. But, worshiping. but worshiping. Fear. Fear. But, worshiping. but worshiping. Anger. Anger. Worship. worship. Doubt. Doubt. Worship. worship. If somebody lied on you, worship. worship. If you are lonely, worship. worship. If you're grieving, worship. 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 Don't ever let anything take away your worship. I wonder if you'd stand with me. You know, today, some of you are very lonely right now. Some of you are very bound by depression and grief. And you have been seeking therapeutic options. You've been seeking friendships and relationships. And though those things fill your heart to a degree, there's still something missing. And what I want to encourage you is the reason why, you know, I, I used to play football and I was always a very popular person. But one of the things that blew my mind was I could be the life of the party, but be lonely after the party. My life was crowded, and yet I was lonely. I was one of the most confident people in front of people, and I was the most fearful person behind the scenes. I was strong, but I was weak. And some of you today, as you heard me talking, you felt the Spirit of God pulling on your heart. And to make Jesus not just someone around your life. I'm not asking if you've been to church. I'm not asking if you've been to vacation Bible school. I'm not asking about all that. What, what I'm asking you today is, is Jesus the leader of your life? That's what you want. you want. You don't want to know Jesus in terms of about him. You want to follow him. You're tired. You're tired of doing things on your own. You've been trying. 
And so I want to offer you today the leadership of Jesus Christ, that you would give your life to Christ and you would make him your Lord. Is there one today? Come, come. Is that you today? Just come to the front and we will walk with you and work with you. We will support you, but you cannot do it on your own. Is there one today? Is there one today that you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life? That you no longer want to do it on your own anymore? Is there one? Is there one? Is there one? Oh, you're wrestling. <laughs> you're wrestling and you're afraid. You're like, well, I'm going to bug out on Monday. And so is everybody else in here. Everybody else is going wild out on Monday. But we're going to come back to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and so is there one? Is there one today that you want to give your life to the Lord? Amen. Well, if there not be one, I pray that you would just continue to wrestle with the truth of God's word and that God would continue to work on you so that you might know him more. Amen? There are some of you that you may have felt compelled to come to the front, but maybe, um, maybe that's not where you're at, but maybe you just want a greater foundation in your walk with God. Uh, if that's the case, we have a thing called our foundations class. And so that, if you want to join that class, you would text the word faith to 55444. Text the word faith to 55444. Uh, many people in that class end up getting baptized, but it is really a place to get that foundation. Pray you just continue to worship. We're going to have a time now where, as I was speaking, uh, and I talked about being bound. Some of you all feel bound right now by certain things. One of the things that the Bible talks about and you see is people delivered in an instant, and that's true. You can be delivered in an instant. But the reason why the Bible gives us weapons is because our, our enemy doesn't come in just one instant. He comes back again and again and again. And I, I wanna invite you up here, not just to be delivered, but for new habits that you would operate with new weapons. As we worship, we want you to come and just be prayed over and that you would ask the Lord Jesus to release you from some of the strongholds you feel bound by. Depression, fear, grief, doubt. Would you come? Would you come? We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 1030 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.